Brother Shane, our musicians and praise team this morning. Good morning to you. It's good to see you. Uh, if this is your first week back inside, welcome back inside. It's good to see you. I pray that it is uh, joyful to you as it was to me last week, the first time being back inside. Uh, even what we've already done, just being able to hear the rest of you singing the hymns uh, is very special to me. And so thankful also to be able to see your faces as I share God's word with you. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be if you would like to turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. I told them in the 9 o'clock service that if you, have not, if you were not here last week, the message from last week is posted online on the Facebook page, uh, as well as on the podcast version. We have that available on the, the podcast if you would like to listen. I, I strongly recommend, if you're going to be with us throughout the duration of Daniel this summer, that you try to listen to that background, uh, setting, understanding more about what's going on here in the book of Daniel. But just in case you were one of those rebels, says, Brother Zach, I was not here last week, and I'm not going to the Facebook page, and I'm not downloading the podcast, and I'm not listening to your sermon from last week. Let me give you a quick, very brief recap of what's going on here. Last week, we saw the people of God. Uh, here, it is the nation of Judah. If you're not familiar with that split, these are the people of Israel. But at this point, Israel has split into two separate countries and the southern one is called Judah. So these are still God's people. But God's people had stopped acting like God's people. They were not worshiping God anymore. They were not following God. They were not trusting God's ways. And for that, for their lack of trust in Him, for their lack of faithfulness to Him, because of their idol worship and how they had turned away from God to false gods, there was punishment and there was discipline. And in this instance, that discipline came in the, the form of King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Babylon is the strongest nation in the world at this point in time. They have the largest, strongest army in the world. And God, the text tells us, you can read Second Kings, you can read Second Chronicles, you can read Daniel 1. God sent Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to punish his people for all these things that they had done. So they go over and they, they devastate the city, especially on the second visit. They devastate Jerusalem. But something that's extremely important for us is one of the other things that they did is they basically kidnapped all of the elite and useful people from Jerusalem and Judah. All of the smart people, all of the skilled people, all of the carpenters, all of the workers, all of the rich people, they kidnapped all of them at least 10,000, we're told, and they took them back to Babylon. So they're no longer living in the promised land. They're living in Babylon. And today we're going to zero in on four young men. And much of the book of Daniel will be about these four young men, about what their life is like now that they're living in Babylon. So look with me in the text. That's the setting. That's where we are. We're in Babylon. These men have been kidnapped from their home. And this is what we read beginning in verse 3. Then the king, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, the king commanded Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, 
and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. That's just another name for the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of time, at that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So we see here, these are the four young men. We call them Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which bothers me because we call Daniel by his Hebrew name. We call the other three by their Babylonian names, but that's how we do it, so I'm not going to try and change that. What we see is that these four are referred to as young men or youths. We don't know an exact age for them, but a good approximation, if you're just trying to picture, is probably about 12 years old. So these guys are about 12 years old, and you kind of have to think from their mindset. They are kidnapped from their home. They're marched 600 miles across the desert to a new city, a new country, where they are no longer in a nation that worships God or that is supposed to worship God at least. They're in a pagan nation. Babylon had all sorts of gods, and Yahweh, the actual God, was not one of them. So they're in a pagan culture, in a toxic society, and they are taken there, separated from their families, and put into this special education system that I always call a Babylonian brainwashing system. The plan is to take all of these young men that would one day be rulers, right? It, it goes through all this list. These are, these are rich young men. These are good-looking young men. These are very smart young men. These are the best of the best. So the king says, take the best of the best and teach them our ways. Teach them our language. Teach them about our gods. Give them the best of the food that we have. And the plan as best we can tell, is that what Babylon wanted to do was to take the eventual leaders of all the other nations that they took over and make them want to be Babylonians, right? After they've tasted and seen all of the good of Babylon, that they would want to be Babylonians, that they'd want to stay forever, or at least be loyal to Babylon forever. But we see in verse 8 that Daniel throws a kink in this plan. Look there with me. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So, so here, Daniel and these other three, they're, they're put into this program and, and they're okay with parts of it, right? They're going to be educated. They're going to go through the education system. They're given these new names and we don't see any pushback for that. But when it comes to matters of sinfulness, Daniel wasn't willing to give in. Daniel was okay with these other things, learning the ways of the Babylonians, learning the language of the Babylonians. But when they said, we want you to eat this food, and for some reason, and we don't know exactly why, but for some reason, eating that food would have been a sin. Daniel was convinced of this. Daniel was convinced. The wording that it uses there, it says that he would not defile himself with the king's food. That word defile literally means to pollute, 
For us, it's the idea that we would have of sin. It is, it is causing yourself to be blemished or stained in front of God. So, so Daniel says, if I eat that food, then it's a sin. And so I'm not willing to bend on that. I'll do all these other things, but I'm not going to eat the king's food. So I want to give this to you. Point one is what we see Daniel doing here. I want to give it to you two ways. One's a little bit positive leaning, one's a little bit negative leaning, but I want you to see both these. Point one is that Daniel abstained from sinful pleasures while in exile. So we see here this sinful pleasure that's offered to him. It had been easy for him to say, well, I don't have a choice. Might as well enjoy this good food. I mean, it's the king's food, so it's really good food. It'd be easy for him. But Daniel doesn't. He abstains. He says, that's a sin, and I'm not going to do it. On the other side, point one is that Daniel abstained from sinful pleasures while in exile. But point one is also Daniel remained true to God even while in exile. That's just two sides of the same coin. He said, I'm not going to take part in these sins. I'm going to remain true to God. Those are both an understanding. I broke it up because y'all make fun of me when my points are too long. So I just made point one two different points. So Daniel has a plan here. He goes, it tells us there in verse 8, he goes to the chief of the eunuchs and asks him, hey, can I not eat this food? Is it okay if I don't eat this food? I don't want to defile myself. But we see in verse 10 the answer. Even though verse 9 tells us that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of this man, we see this answer that he gives to Daniel in verse 10. The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your, of your own age so you would endanger my head with the king. So we see the favor and compassion in that this man doesn't punish Daniel for asking this, but he also doesn't agree with Daniel. And why? It's because he fears Nebuchadnezzar. Now we see something that's very important in this verse that I want you to make note of. This man, this chief eunuch, this official who understands this entire program, he knows that if Daniel doesn't eat the food that's been assigned to him, that he's going to be skinnier and more poor looking than the rest of the people in the program. Right? That's one thing that we see clearly here. He says, listen, if you don't eat this food, you're not going to look healthy. And if you look less healthy than all the rest of them, the king is going to cut my head off. So no, you can't abstain from eating this food. But just make note of that. Make note that the clear consequence of not eating this food assigned to him is that he would be skinnier and that he would be in worse-looking shape. It makes that very clear here. So this man is scared of the king, and he says, no. But you know who's not scared of the king? Daniel. So Daniel just goes to the next step. The, the man that's assigning the food says, no, you have to eat it. So Daniel then goes to what I would liken to the waiter that's bringing the food and says to the waiter, hey, would it be okay if we don't eat this food? And this time Daniel offers a plan. In verse 12 it tells us that Daniel offers this plan. Let's just try it for 10 days. For 10 days let us eat vegetables and drink water rather than eating all of these things and drinking wine and just see what happens. In 10 days let's do it and see what happens and then we'll decide from there. So look in verse 15. The man agrees. They do the 10-day trial 
And this is what happens, verse 15. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, this, as I've read this this week, this is astonishing to me. I say that this is the, the first real miracle uh, in the terms of physical miracles that we see in the book of Daniel. When you think of the book of Daniel and miracles, you think of the lion's den and the fiery furnace and a handwriting on a wall. But here we see a miracle that most of you would not be excited about. So imagine this. You go on a special diet, and all you are going to eat is vegetables. Right? You're not eating rich, fatty foods. You're not eating steaks and hamburgers. You're cutting out all those bread, carbs. We're just going to eat vegetables, and we're only going to drink water. And you do it for 10 days, and you're fatter than everybody else. They ate all of the things that they wanted to eat. But that's exactly what takes place here. The opposite of what should have taken place here. We've already seen that. We already saw in verse 10 that what should take place is if Daniel doesn't eat the food allotted to him, that he should be skinnier and he should be poor looking. And it's not when it says that he was fatter here. It's, it's not in the sense of unhealthy. It's, it's filled out, right? It's, it's healthy looking. He eats vegetables. These four, they eat vegetables and drink water. Give up the meat, give up the breads, give up the wine. But they're still more healthy looking than all of the rest of them. And what we see here is a reminder, a clear reminder. And I say that this is a miracle, and, and I don't want to just say that jokingly. I want you to understand that what we see here is God doing something that goes against the natural law of things, which is a miracle. We see God taking and showing that it's not about the food. The health of these young men is not going to be based on the food that they eat. The health of these young men is based on the God that they serve. Point two, God was in control of everything that took place in Babylon. I don't want us to miss that. It's a huge deal here. It wasn't about the food. Sometimes it's easy to say, well, that is, that is great that Daniel gave up all that food and only ate vegetables. And it is. But, but don't miss in looking at Daniel's moral example the ability of God to, in taking away all the things that should make you look stronger and more filled out and healthy, to make you look stronger and more filled out and healthy. God was in control. We saw it in verse 9. Whenever God does what in my mind is likened to like a Jedi mind trick, for those of you that, that like Star Wars, and, and he makes this chief eunuch look favorably at Daniel. He shouldn't have looked favor, favorably at Daniel. The chief eunuch says, here's the food that you should eat. And Daniel, in some senses, what would sound like a spoiled brat, says, well, can I not eat that food? And have something else. So he shouldn't have looked favorably. But still this man has compassion on Daniel. And he looks favorably on Daniel. God it tells us in verse 9. God is the one that caused that to happen. In the same sense here we see. That these men. These young men don't eat what they should. But they're still more healthy than the rest of them. And it's a clear indication that God was the one. Causing these things to happen. God was in charge of the mind. Of that chief unit. God was in charge of the body. Of these four youths. God proved that he can do more with a little than the king or the chief eunuch or anyone on earth can do with much. They had all of this food and they couldn't make these young men look healthy 
like God could with just some vegetables and water. So we see this, and then in verse 17 it continues. That's not where the blessings, that's not where the miracles of this end. Verse 17, we read more. It says, as for these four youths, that's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we see here these continued works of God. You've got, and we don't know how big the graduating class is here, but whenever the three years are up and all of the youths that had brought in, it wasn't just these four, it would have been a large number. We don't know the number, but it would have been a lot of young men in this class, in this training program. And so you take the entire graduating class and you know who graduates at the top of the class, these four young men. These four young men that it tells us in verse 17 that God gave learning and skill and literature and wisdom to. God caused them to be smarter than everyone else that had just gone through the same program that they had gone through. And that seems amazing enough by itself. You say, look, these, these were in here with all of the others and they came out at the top of the class. But you could make an argument, well, you know what, maybe they were just smarter. You ever think about that, Brother Zach? Maybe they were just smarter than all the rest of them. But verse 20 shows us something that couldn't be attributed to these young men just being smart. Verse 20 said, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding... Now that is a large section of things. And all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So the magicians and the enchanters, these would be astrologers. These would be uh, those that would look for visions. These would be what we would normally call wise men. So it says that he took all of the wise men in all of Babylon. Now Babylon is the largest nation in the world. It encompasses all sorts of people groups. The wording used here tells us that there were wise men and astrologers, at least from Egypt and from Babylon. So you've got from all of the world men that have trained their entire life to be wise men. And all of a sudden you have three about 15-year-old, four about 15-year-old young men that have been training for three years who not only are smarter than any other wise man in the entire world, but they are ten times better than any other wise man in all the kingdom of Babylon that encompassed the majority of the world at this point in time. And in that we see, once again, the power of God at work. Only God could make that happen. That you could take four young men that have not been training for very long, these three in Daniel that are specifically named, that these are taken in in three years of training are ten times better and smarter and more skilled than all of the wise men and all of the world. Point three. God blessed these four in ways that only He can. Verse 
And that's a major point in ways that only he can. It wasn't attributed to the food. It wasn't attributed to the training program. It wasn't attributed to anything else other than the fact that God caused these things to happen. So whenever we we sum up what's happened here and we look back across this narrative and this story, it's easy. It's very easy. I was tempted as I first started studying this week. It's easy for us to get caught up in the moral example of Daniel here. It's easy for us to read Daniel chapter 1 and think that the main point is, no matter where we are, that we need to remain faithful to God. Now, that is no doubt true. It's no doubt a truth. And Wednesday night, we're going to look specifically at how Daniel chapter 1, coupled with 1 Peter chapter 2, show us how we should live in the society that we live in right now. How we as people living in the United States and the world in our day and time and the political climate and the toxic climate that we live in, we're going to see how Daniel chapter 1 and 1 Peter 2 help us see how to live in this day and time. But I also want you to, to make sure that you don't miss this this morning. If you haven't been listening, listen to this. The main point of this text is not about Daniel. It's about God. And that's true for anything that we read in all of Scripture. It's never about a human. It's always about God. It's teaching us about God. It's showing us something about God. And if I had to sum up, if you said, Brother Zach, could you sum up the main point of Daniel chapter 1, this narrative, in four words? I would say, you can trust God. You can trust God. As I've thought about this week, I've said it as if God were speaking it to me. You can trust me. I believe that that's what God says to us as we look throughout this chapter. We see what should be, in my mind, a shot in the arm to our faith. We see some young men that are ripped from their home and taken from their family and taken across the desert a long way and put into a toxic culture in a place that they don't want to be in a time that they don't want to be there to do things that they probably don't want to do. And in the midst of all of that, God shows us over and over and over that he was still in control. You see, this chapter isn't meant to put Daniel up on a pedestal. It's meant to put God up on a pedestal. This chapter is not about Daniel's self-control. It's about God's sovereign control. And he shows it to us over and over. He bends the mind of this chief eunuch to have compassion and favor toward Daniel. He oversees their bodies to make them healthier than all the rest. But not only the mind and the body, but God also shows that He is the one, the purveyor of all wisdom and all knowledge and all ability when He makes them better than anyone else, ten times better than anyone else that you could find in all of these matters. God shows us that even while living in exile in Babylon in a pagan nation, He was in control. Now, I would tell you that that is specifically important for you and me to hear this morning. Why? Because as much as I love Wesson, Mississippi, as much as I love Brookhaven, Mississippi, and I do, I love Wesson, I love Brookhaven, and as much as they feel like home, and and as much as I love the United States, and I love living in the United States, and as much as it feels like home, I've traveled to other countries, and this always feels like home. When I get back here, it's a big deal. As much as these places feel like home, 
we have to remember this morning that if you're a Christian, this isn't home. Wesson isn't home. Brookhaven isn't home. The United States isn't home. My permanent address, if you're a Christian, your permanent address is in heaven. That's where we're going to spend eternity. That's where our Father is. That's where our family is. And it, we now, maybe a few months ago, it's harder to see this, but increasingly it's easy to see how much less this feels like home and how much more toxic this culture feels like. But we see that, that while we're here, and the Bible refers to us as exiles, just like they were exiles that were taken from home and taken to a different place, the Bible refers to us as exiles because heaven is home and we're living for a short time in a different place. So while they were in exile, God was still in control. And this is a reminder to us today that while we're here in exile on this earth, God is still in control. And we can trust Him. We can do the things that He's called us to do and we can trust the outcome to Him because He always has a plan and He's always in control. And one last point in learning, warning, because sometimes it can also be easy for us to look at a moral example like Daniel, where Daniel did what he was supposed to. And in doing that, he became powerful, and he became rich, and he became more wise than everybody else. And it's easy for us to want to read that and say, this means if I do the things that the Bible says, that I will be smarter than everyone else. And I will have a better job than everyone else. And I will be uh, elected to offices and things that other people won't be elected to. But I will give you, if you want to look at an exile living in a foreign land, doing the right things, and seeing how it came out for him, I'll give you a better example than Daniel. And Daniel's a good example. A very good example of what it looks like to live in a hostile culture as an exile. But an even better example than Daniel would be Jesus. Jesus, heaven is home. He's lived there forever. But he leaves there and comes here as a foreigner walking on this earth. And we see here Daniel did a lot of good things, but we see that Jesus did all the perfect things. Jesus never sinned a single time. He never broke a single one of God's laws. He was obedient to God in every single thing that he ever did. But where Daniel was put into high places and given power, and would have been rich in Babylon, we see Jesus never owned a home, never owned land, never needed a savings account. In the end, Jesus' obedience to God led to him being killed in a cruel way on the cross. So brothers and sisters, don't let us start thinking a prosperity gospel way that Daniel teaches that if we do what we're supposed to, that we'll never be harmed and everything will always be good because that's not the picture that the Bible paints. That's how it went for Daniel. That's not the teaching of this chapter. The teaching of this chapter is if you obey God, you can trust Him with the outcome. Because even though Jesus ultimately died on the cross, the outcome was good for the glory of God. It's what allows all of us the opportunity to be saved from our sins. It's what allows us the opportunity to be reconciled to God gives us the chance to have eternal life. So today, if you're here and you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you about it, about how Jesus' life and death offer us eternal life. But I also pray today that we leave here thinking much of God 
in His power. That we leave here more excited to go and do what He's called us to do, to live as faithful, obedient people, knowing that when we do that, that we can trust God because He is in control of everything going on around us. God would join me and let's pray as we close today. Father God, I am thankful. I am thankful for the knowledge that we have about how powerful you are, how much you are in control. Father, we see that throughout the Bible. We see your power in Egypt with the plagues. Lord, and we see your power and bring your people through the Red Sea. Father, we see your power as you sustain the people through the wilderness. We see your power in the Old Testament whenever we see the, the people and the coming to the promised land and you driving out the people before them so that they could have the promised land. Lord, we also see your power when your people are being punished in exile. That you used King Nebuchadnezzar however you desired. Father, that you were over the mind and body and learning and wisdom of all of the people, even in Babylon. Father, we see it in our lives today as you have protected me from so many things that should have happened in my life. Father, that you have given me wisdom and understanding in things that I have no business understanding. Father, that you have saved me from my sins. Lord, that you have been good to us. We see reminders all over, Father, that you are still powerful and you are still in control. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength, strength to live faithfully as we see Daniel and these other young men doing. Lord, that we would continue to do the things that you have called us to and to trust you with the outcome. Father, to live by faith in a God who's worthy of us trusting. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for being a God that's as trustworthy as you are. Help us to live the lives that you would have us to live. Thank you for showing us your power through the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, just remind you that we are doing, we, cons we continue to have the same plans, 9 o'clock drive-in service, 10 o'clock inside service throughout the month of June. Not sure what July will look like. I, I'm assuming that we'll probably have some changes. But for at least the next two weeks, these things should look as they have last week and this week. So thank you for uh, coming in today. I pray that you felt comfortable inside. If you didn't, just know that it's okay for you to come back to the driving service. You haven't committed to this for now on, uh, but I'm thankful to be able to see your faces and worship with you today. So thank you all for coming. Be careful as you go home and I pray you have a wonderful week.